0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here today. It is a special day in the life of Foothills Church. We uh, are celebrating today what's been seven weeks of studying the book of Nehemiah together and sharing the vision of Foothills Church. Our vision uh, and our next step as a church, uh, we believed was to buy the property next door and to begin to build an auditorium that we have already begun to do. And uh, we're, we're excited about that. We're excited because it provides space for people who are not here yet. And so for those who are sleeping in today on this rainy Sunday morning, uh, one day the Holy Spirit is going to speak to them and you're going to invite them. And, and then when they come to this campus, they're going to see an experience in a completely different uh, experience because of this uh, facility that God has led us uh, to provide for this city. And you know, just like parents would, uh, who, who are expecting a new baby would get their home ready and maybe prepare a room for their uh, new arrival, this new baby, uh, we are providing space and getting that space uh, ready for those who are not here yet. Um, if you were a part of the pre-service, you heard some exciting numbers that and some exciting things that God has done this year. Man, our church is growing numerically. Uh, most importantly, it's growing spiritually, and uh, God is just doing some great things things in this place. And so with the addition of an auditorium that's going to seat 1,200 people, that means we're going to get out of this room, which will then become our children's space, which is going to bless them. Uh, we're going to re- completely redo the entrance from the highway into, uh, onto the campus, and uh, that's going to be so much smoother. There's going to be a lot more parking, which we know is going to be a huge uh, need as well. Uh, it'll have a cafe that's going to have a great space uh, for, for, to eat in the mornings and throughout the week, so great open lobby feel. There'll be a Connect Center uh, dedicated for people who need to get connected to small groups and connected to a ministry. There'll be a care and prayer room uh, for people every week and, and uh, weekend and week out, even throughout the week. People will be able to come and get counsel, get prayer, make decisions in that room. That's gonna be a huge blessing. There's a, a large meeting space that is gonna allow us to have a base camp and, and other classes and courses in that room. A lot of great space. And most importantly, um, 1,200 seats, stadium seating. It's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna feel good. It's not this elaborate cathedral. Um, It's not more than we need. It's just going to be a bigger space that's going to provide the ability for us to do what we do, but do it even better and have more space to welcome this community onto this campus and experience Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so today is the culmination of thinking about that, praying about that. And I've been talking about the Christmas offering now for seven weeks. And uh, today what I'm asking you to do is to give generously toward that vision of creating space and and, and connecting to that vision of making disciples in relational environments through the ministries of this church. And so the Christmas offering is gonna go towards that vision. So give generously today. And, And I'm also asking those who have been giving to what we call our our invest campaign to continue to give what you're giving or more, whatever your decision is today in, in the year 2017. And if you've not been giving towards that, I want to ask you to join me and our staff and the rest of the leaders in this church who have been. And so you'll see that offering envelope in your seed. I'll go over that in a little while. Uh, but man, I'm, I'm just excited that God has brought us to this point and God has blessed us. Uh, To even be in this discussion, even have this opportunity uh, to to, to gather corporately and to think about this vision and this future. And so as we think about it, I want to ask you a question. How do you want to be remembered? When you think about the end of your ministry and as you get older, like how do you really want to be remembered? You be remembered as someone who was a good father, maybe, or a good mother, or maybe you want to be remembered as someone who is compassionate or, or giving towards other people. I, mean, I really want us to think about that today and, and, and really reflect upon who and what we want to be remembered by. Stephen Covey wrote uh, that famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in it, he suggests that we need to think with the end in mind. And his point was, if we really wanna be effective, Then we wanna think with the end in mind. In other words, what is the end result that we wanna see in our life or the end result of whatever goal we're thinking about? So what do we want that to look like? And then once we discover, okay, this is what I want it to look like, then we can back up and then we can begin to build some strategies and a platform that will avoid distractions and will also help us become productive and reach that goal. That's great advice. It's great advice when you think about your ministry and, and your effectiveness as a follower of Jesus Christ. How do you want to be remembered? Thinking through that, understanding what you want that to, to feel like and to, and, and to be like will help you today prepare your heart, prepare your life to begin to live in such a way that would bring that about. Obviously, what we leave behind in this world, what we leave behind in life after all the clamoring for success and money and and relationships and accolades, after all of that is gone, how will you be remembered and what is the legacy you're going to leave behind? See, I think the end of this book and, and the end of Nehemiah's journey speaks directly to that. Because the very last sentence of the book is not Nehemiah saying, God, I hope you make me famous after everything that I've done for this city, after everything, God, that I I was involved in. You know, I hope they make a statue for me. I hope they make a day to remember me. He doesn't say that at all. If you have your Bibles open, you can see the last verse in chapter 13, the very last sentence of the book. Nehemiah says, remember me, God. Not, 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 I hope that they remember me, and I hope that they understand all the stuff that I did for them. He specifically thinks about God. He says, God, remember me for good. Remember all the stuff that I did for you. Remember all the things that I was, I was trying to accomplish for you. Remember the ministry that I had. Why? Because at the end of the road, at the end of the day, for my ministry, for your ministry, and I say your ministry because we all have a ministry— end of our life, as we come closer to that moment, the only thing that's going to matter, I would bet to everybody in this room, is God and then your family. And you're going to be thinking, God, I hope you remember what I've done for you. And I, I, I hope you remember that I put Jesus first. And for us to really rally around the end goal, For us to rally around today, no matter how old or young you are today, no matter what you've accomplished or not accomplished today, for you to get on the right track today, there are at least three lessons that we have to remember if we're going to leave a legacy of faith in this world. If we're going to be remembered by God, if we are going to build a legacy that changes people's lives. And so let me recap last week. We saw how the people, they had returned to God's word, and then they discovered that they weren't following God's word correctly, and so they rededicated themselves to God's plan for marriage. And so they, they, they had their own plan for marriage, their own kind of way, and, and they realized that they were sinning, and so they got back on track, and, 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 and so they committed to God in their marriage. They committed to keep the Sabbath day holy because they were working, they were selling and buying, and, and so they decided to do that. If you have questions about that, go online. And you can hear what I talked about last week as far as the Sabbath and then uh, how that applies to us today. And then finally, they recommitted to give financially to the temple. And so they recommitted their life to giving for the work and for the ministry of the temple. So three huge commitments. We applied them to our life last week in the area of our marriage, in the area of our time and our schedule and rest, and then in the area of giving to God's ministry through the local church. And so... In chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 27. Remember, the wall has been built. All of the culmination of all of this hard work has been established. And so here they are. Here's what they do. Verse 27, Nehemiah says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites. Now, the Levites, again, they were just the priests. So they sought the Levites. In all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. So, what they're doing right now is that they are worshiping God. They are remembering that it was God that brought them to this moment, it was God that reestablished their city. Yes, Nehemiah was the leader that God used. But it was God that gave them the resources and God that gave them the vision and God that gave them the plan in order to accomplish this great task of rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the temple, reestablishing themselves as a nation and as a people of God. And so they come before God to worship him and say, this wall is yours. We did this for you. We're here to honor you. And they give God the honor that is due to his name. And so the first lesson we've got to learn today is that you and I, we have to remember to celebrate what God does in our life. We have to remember to celebrate what God does in our life. Just like the Israelites at this moment. It's so easy to get caught up in the next thing that we got to do you know, in the next task or, or, or the next year and, and, and spend little time thinking about God, spend little time thinking about goals, spend little time thinking about and reflecting upon what God has done in our life, we've got to remember or we're going to lose sight of it. By the end of our life, we'll lose sight of it if we forget to pause and worship God for the things that he is doing for us and the things that he has done for us. As a church and as an individual, you see, it's easy for me, and I know it's probably easy for you too to get wrapped up in all the things that aren't going well. You know, all the things that didn't go so well this week are typically the things that we like to focus on. The things that our husband does or our wife does that, that, that annoys us and, and, and that's not so exciting for us, those are typically the things we harp on and think about. It's what your teacher at, at school does that annoys you that you begin to think about and, and harp on. And man, it's really easy to get so focused on the negative and so focused on things that really don't matter. And when when you're wrapped up into that style of thinking and that habit of thinking, you spend zero time praising God and honoring him for the things that he has done that are great. And you overlook the gifts and the blessing that's all around you. It's all about our attitude. I love the story of the little kid that he's in the backyard. He's got a ball and a bat. And he throws up the ball. And he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he swings and he misses. And he picks up the ball again and he throws it up. And he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He swings and he misses. Picks up the ball third time and he throws it up. And he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he swings and he misses. And he goes, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Because I just struck out the greatest batter in the world, right? I mean, that is a good attitude. And for some of us, man, we have lost sight of what God is doing in our life. The people of Israel, man, they were getting things right. They were focused at this moment. They're dedicating this wall to the Lord. God, you did this. God, you're in control. God, you gave us the resources. And and, and we just followed your plan and your vision and look how you've reestablished us. We're a nation again. We're getting our act together. We're worshiping you once again. We're keeping the Sabbath holy. Our marriages are honoring you. This is great. And they're experiencing the blessing of God. You see, for us, it's too easy to forget all the great things that God is doing. The day we moved into this building, for two years, we had been meeting in a school, praying about a location and praying for a facility to either build, buy land. We didn't know what. And then God gave us this building, I mean, we, we had very little in our bank account. We had 130 people, and God gave us a building with over 30,000 square feet. Now, what in the world did that little church need with over 30,000 square feet? Well, he knew that you were gonna come. He knew that by the time 2017 rolled around, that we would be occupying every square foot of this place, and we would be bulging at the seams, needing more land and more space, I remember the first day we were here, man, it was a huge celebration. We worshiped, it was exciting. 130 plus of us went outside and we held hands and dedicated this building to the Lord. And, and there, were, there weren't very many people. When I say 130, that's including kids too. So, so stretching around this facility, hand in hand, we barely made it. Like people's faces were smashed up against the brick. It was funny but we gave this to the Lord and, 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 and we, were, we were excited about what he was going to do. And man, I sense the same energy and excitement in our church today for what he's gonna do with the next step. And I know as we create space, God is gonna, gonna bring more people to experience his love and his grace and his mercy. And so I'm so grateful for those who've been in our church that have been giving over the years to provide this space, to allow us to renovate this space, to, to have staff, to do the ministries that we do in this community. It's because of their faithfulness. And just imagine what it looks like if we all got on board with that vision, if we all gave, if we were all a part of it, we would be able to do twice as much. Now, let's jump down to verse or chapter 13, uh, and, and we're gonna start in verse four. So what happens after that celebration uh, Nehemiah eventually leaves Jerusalem. He's got to go back to the king. Remember, he was a part of the king's household. And so he has to go back to Persia, the, the king of Persia. And, and he, he stays there for several years. We don't know how many years, five, I don't know, maybe more than that. We're not sure, at least that many. But when he's gone again without the presence of a leader, you know, nobody stood, stepped forward to lead and, and the people really began to go back to their habit of sin. They they went back to the same things that got him in trouble in the first place. And so let's read in verse four. It says, now before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah. So Eliashib is related to Tobiah. Remember that guy? Verse five, prepare for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers, gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priest. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem, and then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber, then I gave orders and I cleansed the chamber and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Well, if you're taking notes, the next lesson we've got to understand and remember is that we have to remember that vision requires constant attention. Vision requires constant attention. You can't just you know, share your vision with your wife, guys, for your family and for, for your spiritual you know, life and for your spiritual, you know, goals for your family one time. It's got to be something that you revisit constantly. Listen, you can't just share at your work the vision that you have for your industry or for your company one time. It's got to be something that you are constantly addressing and constantly putting it before your people. The vision that we have at FC is something that I am charged with reminding you constantly that we are here, we exist to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. Our heartbeat is to see people meet Jesus and then to grow in that relationship. And we know that is best done in the confines of relationships. And so we've gotta understand that Nehemiah understood this as he strolls back into Jerusalem and he finds out that Tobiah, that his enemy, the guy that had been sharing lies about him, creating division, Threatening him, he was doing everything that he could to stop uh, um, Nehemiah's vision. And now here he is because he's got a friend, a family member on the team in the in the temple. He moves into the temple. He's got his furniture. He's got a little bachelor pad in the room where all the offerings and grain offerings and ties were supposed to supposed to be. And now he's got his little little pad set up. and And this is what Nehemiah comes back to find. And so he kicks him out. And he throws all the furniture out. I mean, can you imagine the distress that Nehemiah would have been feeling, like pulling his hair out? Are you kidding me? Listen, we can never relax. We can never be satisfied with what God is doing around us. Like we always want to experience more of him, And if five people accept Christ, man, I wanna see more people accept Christ. And when when a few broken marriages get healed, man, I get excited and I wanna see more broken marriages get healed. Why? Because we wanna constantly give attention to the vision and know that we've gotta make some corrections along the way. Here's the reality. Each of us gravitate towards an inward focus. So no matter what your business is, no matter what your family goals are, no matter what our church goal is, we always, because of our sin, begin to gravitate towards an inward focus. In other words, we start thinking more about ourselves and how to make ourselves happy. We think more about our needs and less about the needs of the community and less about the needs of, of why we got into this in the first place. We gravitate towards what's easy. I mean, think of all the championship teams in professional sports. I mean, it's really difficult to win back-to-back championships or, or more than that. Why? Why? Because the sacrifice and the, and the energy and the focus that it takes to win that championship, it's so difficult to duplicate that in the next year. And the reality is the success that you, you've experienced in 2006, 16 could possibly hinder your future goals. It could hinder you in 2017 because sometimes our past success is what hinders our future success. We get complacent, we get lazy, we get inward focused. And so we've got to go back to the vision. We've got to go back to this understanding that, look, there there, there are things that God has called us to do. We're doing a good work and we cannot come down. So we've got to make adjustments constantly. We've got to recognize the selfishness. We've got to recognize that we're on the easy road sometimes and realize that God is calling us to experience more. And Nehemiah walks into the city and he sees that they're not given to the temple like they were when he left. And so, I mean, he had to be devastated. Think about it in this way. Let's just say you move from Maryville and you go to a different state and you're gone five or six years and and then you decide to move back. And the last thing you heard on Sundays was that we were building an auditorium and we were growing and things were going great. And you leave and six years later you come back and you come back to this campus to find out that the bowling alley is back in this room. You come back and find out that the go-karts are back. All the arcade games are back in the room next door. You come to find out that the restaurant and the bar are back in place. Now, some of you are like, well, the bar is not that bad of an idea, Trent. Just kidding. But seriously, if you were to come back and you were to see all of these things put back the way that they were when we got here, you'd be scratching your head. You'd be disappointed. you would be thinking, man, what happened to that building? What happened to that auditorium? Where, where'd all the people go? Oh, why are we bowling again? Like there, there was a work that was being done. I mean, you can only imagine how devastating it would be. And so put, your, put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. He left, things were going great. Now he shows up and, and they're not given to the temple. His enemy is, is actually given a place of prominence in the temple. Now let's continue, verse 10. He says, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. And then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, oil into the storehouses. So he discovers that the priests were not giving their share either. And because they weren't giving their share, they had to go you know, make a living. So they had to move back to their farms so that they could provide for themselves. Once again, so the work of the house of God in the temple was not being done. And so he, he gets them back. And once he cleans out the room, he says, guys, you're supposed to be giving. You're supposed to be giving you know, 10% back to God's church here so that, so that we can do the work of the ministry. And so he reminds them, it says in verse 11, that he confronted them. This is a great leader. Let's hop down to verse 15 now. He says, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into, the, into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Verse 16, uh, Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you were doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So they're not not giving financially to the temple and they're dishonoring the Sabbath day, two of the things that they just committed to the chapter before. I mean, it's really easy to look at them and say, man, these guys are idiots. How do they not get it? right? Nehemiah reminds them, this is why we're in trouble in the first place. This is why, you know, we weren't we weren't keeping the Sabbath holy and and, and, and we weren't giving it to the temple. And so God brought his judgment upon us. He said, oh man, how can you guys not understand it? How can you not get it? Now look at verse 19. It's not, done. as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be open until the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought into in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Listen to this word. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. So, not giving to, to the temple financially. They are not keeping the Sabbath holy. And, 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 at the same time here, there are not just people in Jerusalem that are selling, and, and, and as Jews, they're, not, they're selling and, and, and working on the Sabbath, but they're also allowing people from other religions and other nations to come in and sell on the Sabbath. And so Nehemiah's like, we've got to put an end to this. So he's confronting them yet again. He's like, we've got to shut the gates and lock the door so that, you know, for this complete uh, day, none of this is going on. But the people kept coming, you know, knocking on the door. Hey, we got things we need to sell. And Nehemiah says, why are you guys coming? Stop coming. You come again, I'm going to lay hands on you, bruh. Right? I love this guy. I'm going to lay hands on him. He does not play. He's not messing around. He, you got to be mean about the vision sometimes. And by that, I mean, if, if you recognize how valuable and important the vision from God is, then and only then will you recognize that sometimes you've gotta make a stand. You've gotta confront sin. You've gotta be aggressive in guarding the vision because if you don't, sin will run rampant. Nehemiah knows this. Let's continue. He says in verse 23, he says, in those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab, And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and they could not speak the language of Judah. So here's a whole generation growing up because they married outside the nation of Israel. And remember, that's a spiritual issue, not because of the color of their skin or where they live, but simply because when you marry somebody who is not a a, a believer, as they believe, they brought in their idols and their idol worship and then that influenced them as, as, as spouses and that influenced their kids so much so that they don't even speak the language of Judah now. Verse 25, and so he says, I confronted them and cursed them, and I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Are you kidding me? This guy's legit. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. And then he goes into, he, he explains how Solomon did the same thing. And that was Solomon's downfall. And that's why Babylon came in the first place and took over. And that's why they're slaves. Because they did not honor God with their marriages. They didn't honor God with their resources. They didn't honor God with their rest. And so Nehemiah here, man, he, he, I love, I love men of God in in the scripture. Often when you watch a movie or you see on TV, either, you know, a man of God who is either a pastor or, or somebody who is religious, you know, as far as a a Christian, you're going to see them represented as a pansy or as a criminal just think about it. Prove me wrong. Unless it's a Christian film, of course, most of them are gonna be perceived as as, as sissies or immoral in some way. But the reality is when you see men of God from God's word, you see guys like Nehemiah who will beat you down if you keep sinning, right? He will confront sin, just like Jesus, by the way, Remember, Jesus in, in the book of Matthew, he goes into the temple and he, he sees that they're selling and, and buying things in the temple and they've made it a house to, uh, to, to a, a den of robbers, he says. And he picks up a whip and he starts kicking over tables and he starts whipping people out of there. Love it. This is what God's church needs. This is, this is what this community needs men of God who will stand up for the gospel, who will stand against sin and who will stand for what God wants to do in his family, in his work, and in his community. It's incredible. I love seeing Nehemiah as he enters the scene here. There's one huge difference. When he arrives back in Jerusalem, he doesn't see what he saw in the first place. I remember what he saw in the first place, the first time he showed up was this complete city that was broken down. The walls were broken down, the city was in disarray, no worship. You see, that's the one thing that's missing here. The walls are rebuilt. The walls look great. Everything looks wonderful. You see, for the people of God, the walls that were broken down served as a reminder that when you don't follow God's plan, bad things happen. When you're not following God's plan for your life, like it was evidence, like this, is, this happened because we didn't follow God's plan, but now the walls had been built and their kids were growing up and everything was perfect and they felt entitled and they felt like everything was, was, was golden and they could kind of do whatever they wanted to do. And they forgot the reality that when we don't follow God's plan for our life, suffering will exist. See, the reality is God's plan is always better than your plan. God's plan is always better than your plan financially. God's plan is always better for your marriage than your own plan. Why? Because we gravitate towards an inward focus. We gravitate towards what's easy. And when we follow God, it's not always easy and it's always thinking of others first. That's why it's difficult, but that's why the grace of God is so needed. But folks, you gotta realize that God's blessing follows those who follow God. God's blessing follows those who follow God. It's just a principle we see in the New Testament. It's what we see in the Old Testament. All of these things are happening because they had forgotten the commands of God. They had forgotten what God had called them to do. Now, finally, let's hop down to verse 28. And he says, And one of the sons of Joadiah, the sons of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. (laughs) Remember them, O my God, Because they have described the priest or desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priest and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. And here's the last sentence of the entire book. Remember me, O God, for good. You see, at the end of the day, the end of your ministry the end of our time on this earth. And I think we're gonna be thinking the same things. Remember me, God. And for some of us, that's scary. Like, remember what I've done for you, God. And it's like, oh man, uh, I haven't really done a whole lot. It's kind of scary. But the great news is you can change that today and you can begin to set a new course for your life. If you you look at the end and what you want the end to be, then you can begin to develop some habits and some patterns and some lifestyle changes that will lead you to the end goal, the end result that you wanna see when that day comes. The third lesson that we have to realize, and I think Nehemiah demonstrates it here when he says, remember me, oh God, is that we have to remember that it's all about Jesus. This life is all about Jesus. Your work is all about Jesus. Your family is all about Jesus. This church is all about Jesus. And when you forget that, that's when you start building those unhealthy habits. That's when you start building things wrapped around your kingdom instead of his kingdom. Nehemiah realizes it, remember me, God, because everything I've done is about you. I didn't do this to be famous. I didn't do this to make money. I didn't do this to, you know, get statues in my name and re- be written in, in, the, in the history books of the Israelite people. I did this for you, God. And so every act of worship, every act of sacrifice, we say, this is to you, Lord. This is, this is for you. And this is our worship to you, you know, I want to ask you a question again today. It's not how much are you going to give or how much you've been given. That's between you and God. How much you serve in, where are you serving? That's, that's between you and the Lord. But I do want to ask you again today, how do you want to be remembered? How, how do you want to be remembered? What's the end result for you? I, I think about the Israelite people and it's really easy to see, you know, from, from this vantage point, like, why can they not get it? Like, how hard is it? Stop marrying people that aren't believers. Just stop it. Stop working on the Sabbath. Come on. Don't you feel like that sometimes? I mean, I just kind of read that and I'm like, dude, you guys, this doesn't seem that difficult. Then I think about my own life. And maybe you could come up with some examples too of just how, man, you committed something to the Lord and like a week later, a month later, you're like confessing the same sin or you're dealing with the same issue just not getting better you know and I think man I am I am so much like them spinning my wheels trying to establish my kingdom trying to trying to live life as if I'm the king as if I'm the one that 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 this deal is about and it's so easy to forget that this life is all about Jesus I just wanna challenge you today. Maybe the commitment has been made in your past and, and, and you've just missed out. You've forgotten. You've, you've just like the Israelites kind of kind of in that slow fade, gotten back into a rhythm of sin in your life and, and you're not being faithful to the worship of God, remembering what he has done. You're not being faithful in your marriage. You're, you're not being faithful with giving and, and putting Jesus first in the area of your finances. You know, the Christmas season reminds us, reminds us of what the gospel really starts with. You know what it starts with? It starts with God's generosity because he is a gracious and generous God that he would give us Jesus as a savior for all mankind. And then we would look at his life and and realize that Jesus's life is all about generosity. It's about him giving himself. It's about him giving his life away, giving his presence away, giving his strength away. He he empties himself so that you and I might live. And so we are never more like Jesus than when we are generous. And I believe generosity is not about giving to what is. Generosity is about giving to what could be and should be. It's that vision that God has for us. I give because of what my life should be. I give because of what God wants to do in and through this church. It's giving to what could be, what should be, and watching God use his people to bless the city around us and to see miracles happen Man, I believe in miracles. Man, I do. I have seen them in this church. I have seen marriages transformed. I have seen people accept Christ who I never dreamed would actually get it. I've seen people walk through the doors who I never dreamed would ever walk through these doors. The ministries that we have here, the amount of people that we have here is a miracle. It's a miracle in the presence of God. And every time I taste a little bit of that, I just want more. I just wanna experience more because it's so good, so encouraging and, and, and blessing. And so as we step into this season today, this, this opportunity today, I'm asking you to give generously. Not to me, not to our staff, not to anyone. I'm asking you to give to the Lord in His vision and His mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. The auditorium costs a little over $5 million. And our goal this year, 2017, is to raise $500,000. That's what our aim is. That is. That's what our goal is. And when I say that, I say that with much fear and trembling. Like it's 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 scary to think of that. But I'm not scared because of how large the amount of money is, $5 million. It's not what scares me. When I read the Bible, when I, when I see what God has done in history, when I read what the Lord teaches us, I think what what, what scares me the most, what, what keeps me awake at night, is not how big that amount of money is, but the potential of that the vision is too small. When I read Verses like 2 Thessalonians 3:1 that says the word of the Lord will run and be glorified. When I read Ephesians 3:20, that says, God will do exceedingly and abundantly more than anything we ever hope or ask for. When I when I read verses from from the Bible in Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, I'm with you. Always, When I read Isaiah 54 too, it says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. These are the verses that inspired William Carey to give 40 years of his life as a missionary to India, where he coined the famous phrase, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Man, I want to expect great things from God. I want to expect Him. I want to expect that He's going to work and move and grow and and establish and and, and we're going to worship Him and experience more of Him. But I want to expect more from God. I want to expect great things from God. And then I I read that next phrase: attempt great things for God. I read these verses. I, I, I read this 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 quote, and I come to that number and I think, man, that I don't know what scares me more: the amount. Or that I might be dreaming too little. Because I believe with all my heart that God wants more for me than I can even dream of. God wants more for this church. His dream for this church is way bigger than anything I can come up with. You know the other reality? God's dream for your life is way bigger, way bigger than you ever dreamed or than you've ever thought of. And some of you aren't tasting that and experiencing that because you're just running your plan. You're running your play. You're not running God's plan. You're not fulfilling His plan in your life. And today the challenge is that you would would step into that plan. God's brought you to this church for a reason. He's given us a direction. And as a church, I'm encouraging each one of us to take this step together. In your seats, when you walked in the room, you should, have, you should see an, an, an envelope there. And that top box on the envelope says, what is your Christmas offering? And I wanna encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to take that out and, and to write in the number that, that you believe God has led you to give today. And just under that is another set of boxes. And, and that, that simply says, what will your invest commitment be? And so again, invest is the campaign for 2017. If you've already been giving towards invest, I wanna ask you to continue to give through 2017. If you've not been giving, I wanna encourage you and invite you to join us in that. So you simply just write what a monthly gift or a yearly gift towards that commitment would be. And, and then obviously underneath is, is just normal information. What I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna pray over this offering. As I pray, I wanna encourage you to pray. And at the conclusion of that prayer, I'm gonna invite you to walk forward and you can see the giving stations here at the front. I encourage you to walk with your wife, your, your kids, your family and, and uh, place that in the offering baskets. Go to your seat and then pray. Pray that God would bless this place and this gift today. But then I also want you to pray about one person. That one person that needs to be here this Friday and Saturday for the Christmas, uh, um, for, for the for, for our Christmas services. That that one person that you hope comes. That one person that you know needs Jesus. I want you to pray for him or her. And then as you leave today, you're going to see a board in the lobby, and we're going to ask you to take one of those cards. Simply write that person's name, or if you want it to remain anonymous, make up a name or a nick. I don't know. Put something there hanging on one of those nails and, and we're gonna pray for that wall all week. We're gonna pray for those people. I wanna encourage you to pray for those people all week to come to experience Friday and Saturday, the gospel, an incredible service, an opportunity for us to reach people in this city. It's gonna be an awesome day. Today is about our sacrificial gifts and our prayer. And so as I pray, I wanna encourage you to pray and, and we'll continue in this act of giving, let's pray. Lord, we have set the stage for today. Much prayer, much energy, much focus has been given. Your spirit is here and moving. And as we give this morning, God, I pray that you would make Foothills Church a place where Jesus Christ is treasured above all things, including buildings. I pray this place will be a place where thousands of people meet Jesus and are saved by his grace. Where thousands of children will grow up in gospel-centered homes and experience Jesus that transforms their life. Where thousands of teenagers see Christ as more desirable than the fads of this generation and world, and they will raise the banner high where adults are awakened and sustained by the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ, where mercy flows in practical helpfulness all around this city, where thousands of missionaries are called and nurtured and sent to unreached people all over the world, where campuses are started, where marriages are made strong, single people are sold out for Jesus, where people ripen in old age as sages for the kingdom of God in the midst of this place, where worship is humble and authentic and gospel-centered and Bible-saturated, where people of all races feel loved and respected, where the cause of justice is trumpeted, and where culture is not mindlessly endorsed or discarded, but engaged and used to the advantage of God's truth and beauty. May this be a place that honors the name of Jesus forevermore. And may our faithfulness be apparent in this place today. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.